Every bad decision. Every mistake. Every compromise. All my best moments. My successes. My victories. The pain I've suffered. And the pain I've caused. These are all part of my story. But what if it all could be? Rewritten. Good morning, sleep-in service. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Earlier this year, I went to the great nation of Texas. Uh, that's not a mistake, because they actually think they're their own country, which is kind of interesting to me. And I went there to seek counsel from a trusted mentor. My mentor is a man who has basically spent his life helping people walk through that mid-season of their life, kind of their, their halftime. The fact that I'm at that half-point mark is somewhat amazing to me, because I don't feel old. Like, I, I don't. I don't feel old. And if you're offended by the word old, look, that's your deal. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, but I don't feel old, but the fact that there's hair growing out of my ears and my nose that has to actually be trimmed, it just belies the fact that I'm as old as I am. And gentlemen, if you have that same issue, for the love of God, clip it. That's all I'm going to say to you, okay? So it's just so wrong. So as I approach 50, I've been considering having a midlife crisis. I've thought about doing all different kinds of things. I thought about growing my hair long and putting it in a ponytail so I look like my hero, Bob Marvel from Cornwall. I've thought about having a a bear claw tattoo put on my face just because. Um, I thought about, you know, buying a motorcycle and patching into a gang, but I don't think they would have me. I've just thought there's got to be some ways to celebrate the halfway point of your life, but none of them just seemed fulfilling. So I decided to go biblical. The Bible says that the wisdom of many counselors is a very good thing. And so I went to Texas to see this trusted mentor. And as we were sitting in his office, he pulled out a piece of paper and he wrote just a very, very simple diagram on it. He said, Grant, this is the normal trajectory of your life. Sorry, that's supposed to be a D. I've had a lot of coffee this morning, just going to warn you, all right? He goes, you're born... And then you die. And this is the normal trajectory that every human being has. You can't debate it. You don't get to change it. At some point, we're all going to be born and we're all going to die. That's just the way that it is. And he says, here's your issue. You're sitting right here on this normal, predictable trajectory. You're sitting right about there. He said, how do you feel about that? I don't like it at all. He says, why don't you like it? I thought about it for a few minutes and I said, well, honestly, the reason I don't like it is because In my story, I've known some really good and godly men who got to the halfway point of their life and then they blew it all up. They lost their wife, they lost their kids because they made bad moral decisions. They had that quote-unquote midlife crisis and they made decisions to go in an ungodly way and and basically they they put themselves on a fast track on that arrow that takes us towards death. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to repeat those mistakes. It It just breaks my heart when I think about it. I said, I don't like it because I look back on the traditional arc of my life and I've got, I've got a whole bunch of regrets, like some unbelievably bad decisions that I made. And I don't want the last half of my life to be dictated by all the mistakes I made in the front half. I said, I, I, I just, I, I just, I, I'm brokenhearted over the fact that there were moments in my past where, where I, just, I just left God out of my story completely and I went completely in the wrong direction. I said, I don't like it because I see a lot of people understanding what it feels like to have those kind of X's over top of your life. And it just breaks my heart as I realize so many of us are making decisions today that are pushing us in the wrong direction away from God. 
kind of poured my heart out to him, and my mentor got really, really quiet, and then he said this. He goes, I got some questions for you. What would happen if you allowed God to write the last part of your story? What would happen if God could rewrite all of the X's in the first half? What if God could write the last chapter in a way that would make Jesus famous? Grant, if that was the outcome, if you could actually be promised that the outcome of the last half of your life would be that Jesus would be more famous in Whatcom County, would you be willing to surrender the pen? He took a pen and he drew a line. He said, what if this was actually the trajectory that God had planned for you? He goes, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. He goes, Graham, would you be willing to go through a time of unbelievably deep pain if you knew that God could rewrite the story of your past and rewrite the story that you think is your inevitable end? He says, this is a really, really deep place to be. It can be a dark place to be. He goes, some people will think that you're going backwards. Some people will accuse you of not being successful. Some people will accuse you of not optimizing your potential because you're willing to go through a part of your life where God does some rewriting, but he goes, but here's the deal. What, would you be willing to do it if you knew God would take you in a completely different direction? Because maybe God's plan for you is not the D of death. Maybe God's plan for you is the E of eternity. What if that's God's plan? What if that's the way God actually does it for anybody that is willing to call on his name? And be saved. He goes, Grant, would you be willing to surrender the pen? I said, yeah. He said, good, let's get started. You know, I don't know where you are on the chart. Some of you are on the front part of it. Some of you are on the back side of the chart. I don't know where you are, but I got a question for you. What would happen if you allowed God to write the entire last part of your story? What would happen if God rewrote the worst moments of regret from your life? What if God took those X's and transformed them? What if, what if you gave him ashes and he gave you something beautiful? If God could write the last chapter in a way that would make Jesus famous, would you be willing to surrender the pen and let him do the writing? And I came home from Dallas with my mind just spinning. And out of that has dripped this series. It's a series about God rewriting the trajectory of our lives. I mean, what if God could change that predictable outcome? Because that's what the world tells you, right? You're born, you die, and everything in between is taxes. That's what they'll tell you. What if that's not the way it was supposed to be? What if God could do something different? What if your past could literally be re? written. I had this series completely mapped out in my brain. I knew exactly how I wanted to tackle it. And in typical God fashion, earlier this week, early on a Monday morning, while I'm doing my quiet time, God had me rewrite the entire thing. So welcome to my devotions from early, early Monday morning. Jesus gave me a gift. He gave me a friend to walk on this journey with me. And I don't know about you, but when I'm walking through tough stuff, I love having company. So thanks for coming along on this journey with me for the next five or six weeks. It may not be easy at times, but I know this to be true. If we are willing to surrender the pen, God may write a story that we have absolutely no idea how it may end up. Jeremiah is my friend. He's known as the weeping prophet. He cried a lot. I like him, okay? I like him. But if you look at Jeremiah's life, he was really considered to be a failure. For 40 years, his job was to tell a section of the nation of Israel, specifically this, this upper group called Judah, he was supposed to tell them that they were supposed to stop sinning. Here was the problem. Nobody listened to him. 
In the midst of his tears, no one listened. Some people would look at that and say, dude, like you, you, you're failing. Your job description is not being accomplished. But in God's eyes, he was an amazing success simply because he was obedient to the message that God had called him to. That portion of Israel known as Judah had an amazing history. I mean, God had brought them out of Egypt. God had, had taken them into the promised land. God kept showing up. He protected them. He helped them. He'd been with them all the while. But this group of people, they're just like, don't need God for nothing. Their disobedience was legendary at this time in history. Then in Jeremiah 17, this brokenhearted, crying prophet begs a group of people to allow God to rewrite their story. He's just like, come on, guys, surrender the pen. I'm going to read his words, and then I'm going to give my response that basically came right off of a piece of paper that I was writing on just this past Monday morning. I start reading Jeremiah 17. It says this, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool. It's inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. That description, it kind of scared me because I can actually relate to me. I don't know about you, but I feel like the worst moments of my life have been chiseled. They've been etched into my mind, into my heart, into my soul. There's times when I walk into a room and I feel like I'm wearing a blinking neon sign that announces the worst of me. There's times when I feel like my worst moments... Like those moments that, that I, those moments when I insisted on writing in my, my own story are so etched in history that I'm never going to be able to, to forget them or let them go. Now I know what God says. God says he can, he can wash it away. He can cover it. He can clean it. He can protect me from it. But I keep running into the same issue. Maybe you run into it too. My worst moments are always one memory away. Anybody else felt that just a little? So I read that, that their sin was literally carved in stone. And my response is, I don't want my sin written in stone. I mean, I want to believe that God can do everything he says he can do about those tragic X moments that have led me up to this point in my life. I keep reading, verse 2. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. Asherah poles were idols. And the people of Judah had replaced God with these idols. They would come and actually worship there. Now, before you judge them, realize in our culture, we do it too. We replace God so unbelievably easily. I mean, we worship our schedules. It's what works for us that matters. We worship our sports teams. Think about how much more energy you're going to put into later on this afternoon than, than you may decide to give to God this morning. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty and just saying it the way I see it. We worship our bank balances, our security, our safety. And every time we replace God, we are literally writing that priority on the hearts of our kids. They're learning from us. What's important? What takes priority? What's replaceable? What can you just blow off because you want to go and do something that's more about you? Parents, can I ask you a question? What are you inscribing? What are you chiseling onto the hearts of your children? When Braden was little, I used to take him with me. He would put him in his little car seat, you know, in the back of the car. We'd travel together. And I live in a community to the north of us, just a little ways, you know. You know what I'm talking about, okay. And so I would drive back and forth on the guide. And I remember we'd be traveling down the guide one day. And, and traffic is a little bit heavy. And, and, and a guy decides he's going to, you know, cut in really, really quickly just in front of me. And I hear this angelic, soft little voice from the back seat. Say, move it, you moron. <laughs> Stupid Canadian driver, you idiot. 
I know, I cannot believe he learned that from his mom, that it's just so wrong, right? <laughs> like, where did he get that from? I'll tell you where he got it from. I chiseled it on his heart. Because he watched his dad do the same thing over and over and over again. You know, parents, have you noticed your kids are parrots? And what you say can and will be held you in a court of their little brain. You know, I read that passage and I thought to myself, I don't want my dysfunction written on the heart of my kids. I mean, I've got more dysfunction than just bad verbal driving habits, believe me. And I don't want my kids to be marked, to be etched with my insecurities, with my addictions, with my poor choices. I want God to write His story on the hearts of Braden and McKenna. I read on verse 3, my mountain in the land and your wealth and all of your treasures, I'm going to give it away as plunder together with your high places because of your sin throughout your country. Look at verse number 4, you may want to underline this, through your own fault you will lose your inheritance. The inheritance I gave you, I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you don't know, for you've kindled my anger and it will burn forever. I mean, that phrase just smacked me in the side of, your, uh, of my head, right? Through your own fault, you're going to lose your inheritance. In this case, Jeremiah is talking about the willful decisions that we make to push God away. Okay, I know in a room of this size, there are so many of us, we've had things done to us. Moments where we were victimized. That's not what Jeremiah is talking about here. Jeremiah is talking about that moment that we all have when we grab the pen out of God, the author of all of our story. We grab it from his hand. We snatch it back because we know better and we're going to write our own story and God is not the boss of me. I read that. My response was, I don't want the anger of God to be kindled against my own sinful decisions. I mean, I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy. I need God's mercy. I don't need to be walking around with, with, with you know, the fuel of my own sin, pouring it on God's righteous indignation. I mean, I read my Bible. That does not go well for you when you do that. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let me read that again. It's so powerful. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. I mean, I've tried to rewrite my own story so many times in my own strength, it's ridiculous. I just keep thinking somehow. I can do this through a sheer act of will. I can realize my full potential. I'm going to optimize my future. I'm going to do all the little catchphrases that we like to put up on the walls of our offices. I mean, I'm going to be all that I can be. I mean, I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. I mean, I've got all this stuff going. I'm going to realize it into existence, right? Because that's, after all, that's the secret, right? I just have to visualize it, and that's going to be cool. But here's the problem I keep running into with myself. Myself is a jerk. I mean, myself is completely selfish. That's where the word came from. You know that, right? Like, myself is very self-centered. Myself actually wants to beat all of yourselves at all costs. Myself wants to, 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 to you to realize, I want myself 
to help yourself convince, be convinced of the fact that I actually think my story might be just a little bit more important than yours is. I mean, myself is no help at all because the reality is myself can't help myself when myself is a complete and total mess. Anybody else with me? Can we finally admit, I mean, the bookstore has sections labeled self-help. Save the tree, right? I'm not not even that much of an environmentalist. I mean, can we finally admit, boy, we we are living proof that self can't help anybody. I read that. Cursed is, that's a strong word. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own strength. My response is, I don't want to trust my own strength. I tried that. The reality is I'm weak when it comes to matters of the heart. I keep reading verse 7. Ah, here it comes, finally. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. I mean, finally there's some help, right? Finally, finally, finally. This verse just says that I've got to trust that God wants to rewrite my story. I've got to trust that God's a better author than I am. I have to trust that God is so much better with words and life than I could ever possibly be. I mean, I just have to trust that God with a pen is a great combination. Me with a pen, not so good. I've got to be confident that God's story is the best story for me. So I read that and my response is, I want to put my trust in the God that saves me. I mean, I, I read that and my heart just starts to swell, right? I'm like, that's awesome. My heart is all for God. My heart is, is all behind God rewriting all of these stories. I mean, my, my, my heart wants to surrender the pen. And then I run into verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And beyond cure, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I mean, I don't know about you, that verse hurts my heart. But the truth is, my heart can be a scary place to be. The only scarier place that I know of than my heart is my brain. It's a scary spot. I mean, my heart can be so pure one moment and so depraved the next I mean, I can be driving home after a long day of work, feeling so unbelievably fulfilled and joyful, and I'm watching the sun gleam off of Mount Baker, and I'm pulling across Wiser Lake. I mean, it is just, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. My heart is in a beautiful spot. You cut me off, I'm at murder in a second. It's like, you're dead. God says, He knows that part of me. My Bible says God knows all the exits. The ones that I am horrified of, the ones that I've justified somehow to make myself feel just a little bit better, God knows all my exits. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, not only does He know our exits, but He's actually going to judge them. We don't like that, do we? But my response is, I don't want to meet God in His judgment. I mean, I want to meet God in His mercy. I meet so many people, and that's what they want more than anything. They want mercy for their memories. They want God to rewrite those, those horrifying moments in the earlier part of their life when, boy, if they, could, if they could undo it under their own strength, they absolutely would. They want mercy for their memories. In a moment of my life when I was in absolute despair, I don't know what other word to use it, 
because I'd hurt it, I'd hurt the people in my world that I that I love the most. As often happens, God showed up in that deep, ugly, pit-filled moment of my life, and he gave me a song. I don't know how he talks to you. For whatever reason, God talks to me through music. The words of the song said, Can you hear me, brokenhearted? And all you prisoners of the past, come and find your freedom at last. There's mercy for the memories that hold you in your pain. So come and stand in the cleansing of forgiving rain for as far as the eastern sky is to the west and as deep as the ocean's deepest depths, your sin has been carried away by a God who forgives and forgets. So come find mercy for the memories. Rest. All you hiding in the shadows of innocence you've lost, come and find your healing in the shadow of the cross. For as far as the eastern sky is to the west, and as deep as the ocean's deepest depths, your sin has been carried away by a God who forgives and forgets. Come find mercy for the memories. There is mercy for your memories. Come find mercy for the memories. Bible says God's mercy can rewrite the painful, most painful part of your story, all of your exes. I saw a lady here last night. I love her story. I was talking to her and we were kind of debriefing and she said, Grant, only God is strong enough to take a story of two rapes and three abortions and write the word counselor across it. That's what she does now. She talks to young women who are living in the same painful journey that she once walked. She carries their burdens with them. Only God can exchange ashes for beautiful. Verse 11. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it didn't lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. I'll explain that in a second. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them. And in the end, they will prove to be fools. I mean, I know some of you got kind of hung up there on the partridge laying eggs that didn't, they didn't actually hatch because that visual is kind of interesting. I got stuck in those next couple of words, when their lives are half gone. Because that's where I happen to be, right? I don't know where you are on the chart, but there I am. Statistically, I'm actually over the tipping point, depending on where you are in that good news, Right? I mean, we're, I'm actually there when their lives are half gone. But Jeremiah says, just, just, like, just like a bird is supposed to only hatch its own eggs. Like, basically, Jeremiah is saying, look, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And the wrong way for the bird is to just find a nest that it didn't build and sit on eggs that it did not lay. Jeremiah's like, that's just wrong. You're not supposed to do that. There's a right way and a wrong way. And God is saying here in this moment, if you gain riches by unjust means, you're laying eggs that aren't yours to lay, that aren't yours to hatch. And he goes, if you live your life that way, you're going to get about halfway through and everything that you think is important is going to disappear on you. I mean, I read that. When the lives are half gone, I mean, he's talking to me. We all see it. 
God is saying, look, I want you to give me permission to rewrite whatever part of life you have left so that when you reach the halfway point, you don't end up empty. I mean, I read those verses, my response is, I want to steward a full life that doesn't disappear halfway through. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want the whole thing to count. I want to be a good steward of every single day that God's given me. Scripture says that we're supposed to number our days. Here's a hard reality for all of us. Some of us think we have a lot of days left to live, and the reality is we don't. Because guess what? I can't control tomorrow any more than you can. Some of us, you actually got 40 or 50 more years left to go. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't want to be here that long. <laughs> This place is broken. I understand. My response was, I want to steward a full life that doesn't disappear halfway through. At this point, let's face it, the first 12 verses have been a little discouraging. Verse 13, Lord, you're the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you, and here's where the series landed for me. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. All this summer, we did a three-month series on Revelation, one of the toughest books in all of the Bible. We made it. We got through the entire thing. We did a series in Revelation, and we learned as one of those points that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that God takes a pen and He writes our name in a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know about you, but I want to know for certain that my name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't want my name to be written in the dust of my sinful choices. Can I get an amen? I just don't want that. Last week we saw Jesus having a conversation with a lady at a well. She wears a, a scarlet letter of all of her indiscretions. She had a whole bunch of X's. And then Jesus showed up. And Jesus shows up with this lady and he breaks all of the societal rules and basically says to her, nobody would say this is politically correct, but I don't care. I'd like to share a cup with you. I don't care about your past. If you'll take a drink of living water, this is the promise I'll make. Your name will never, ever be written in the dust of your bad choices. My response to that was, I don't want my name written in the dust. So where does that leave us? Let me remind you again. The world keeps saying, this is the predictable trajectory of your life, and you don't have any choice. You're born, you die, you pay taxes. That's how it works. Some of us are just in that mindset of that's the trajectory so it can't be changed. I hear these words all the time from people right here. My marriage is already busted. There's no way it can be salvaged. We're probably just going to end up divorced. Predictable trajectory. I've heard people say my dad was an alcoholic. He was never there for me. So I'll probably end up being just like him. Predictable trajectory. Maybe yours sounds a lot like mine did all those years ago. My hope is gone. I feel like God has forgotten me. So you know what? I'll just do this on my own and follow the natural trajectory of life. I'll be born. I'll pay. I'll die. Jeremiah is writing to a group of people that were on a natural trajectory. There was no hope. 
There was absolutely no hope. But listen to what he prays in verse 14. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one that I praise. This crying prophet suddenly can't help himself anymore. And he goes, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to praise the God who has actually placed me on a trajectory. And I'm going to have the audacity to believe that the trajectory the world told me is not true. I'm going to believe that God can heal the excess, all of my regrets. I'm going to believe that when I get halfway through, not all of it is going to be empty. I am actually believe that the God that I serve, that His plan for me is not just to simply hit D and be done, but that instead He's the kind of God that lovingly wants to exchange a D for an E. And if you're wondering what the E stands for, that would be eternity. I mean, we serve a God here at Christ the King that likes to take broken stories and put them back together again. In fact, that's when I think He does His absolute best work. So I don't know where you are on the trajectory, but some of you are here today and you are just excited about the fact that even though you're right here, that this is actually God's plan for your life. Some of you are way over here on the backside and you are just praying and hoping that everything that Jeremiah said was true and that somehow, miraculously, God's going to construct some kind of a U-turn and exchange the D for death for an E for eternity. The Bible says that's the only hope we have. I read that and my response was, I want to be healed and, and saved by God. That's what I want. I don't want the last half of my life to be determined by the failures of the first half. I need God's healing. I need God to rewrite the story. I need I need. God, and that's where it gets hard, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I like my pen. I like my story. I like control. I like writing what I want to write because I can write it. I have a hard time unwrapping my fingers from around God's invitation to completely change the trajectory of my story. My friend Terry passed away just a couple of weeks ago after an 18-month battle with cancer. On Saturday nights, Terry would sit right about there, about five rows in front of the camera on the right-hand side. He was a great big tall guy, and he was, he was difficult to miss. A friend of mine came and said, hey, Terry has something that he wants to share with you. Make sure you find him after the service. So on that Saturday night, I did. I found he and his wife, Rebecca, they were standing kind of back there in that corner over there in that little intersection. And in Terry's unbelievably classic gravelly voice, this is what he said. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them back and cried, how can you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? He never did let go. Terry and I have walked a similar recovery story. We've bumped into each other along the 12-step journey. And I love the fact that he was at such peace that night because he finally surrendered the pen. 
When I say the words let go, please understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to communicate that we should abdicate. I'm not trying to communicate that when you surrender the pen, what you do is you take your pen and you throw it at Jesus and hit him right between the eyes and say, fine, write your own story. I'm just going to stand here and watch what happens. That's not what God is imploring us to do. No, he's saying when you surrender the pen, what you're really doing is partnering with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do through the whole series. We're not going to be inactive. God's going to rewrite the story and we're going to get a chance to live it. All of the story. We're going to choose to journey with God as he rewrites the direction and the predictable trajectories. We're going to go a completely different direction than the world says we're supposed to go. I hope you'll come just for kicks to see where God might take us. I put it in your outline this way. If God's going to rewrite my story, I have to surrender the pen. So Christ the King, I have this question for you. Will you? Will you surrender the control of writing your own story to a God who'd love to rewrite not only the old stuff, but to write a whole new ending. So here's what we're going to do today. This will be a challenge for the 1115 sleeping crew, because you guys tend to drift towards the end of the service, right? I know, you're trying to get out, you've got to get to your car, you've got to beat everybody else to the deal. Here's what I'm going to tell you. This would be a horrible time and a horrible week to leave early. Because you might interrupt a conversation that God has been waiting your whole life to have. So I'm going to invite the band to come back. And what we're going to do is this. Uh, can anybody, verse 14. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved. For you are the one I... For you are the one I... Could it be that the first step in bringing God our ex or handing him our pen, could it be as simple as praising the God who's the greatest author of all time? Could it be that in the quietness of this moment, as we praise him, that God may ask us to surrender an ex that we've carried way too long, that we've held on to, we just wouldn't let go? Could it be that this is the moment when we have to take stock and look back at the story we've written so far and have to be honest enough to say that's not the story I want to live with for the rest of my life? I know there are people in this room that right now are going, I kind of like my story. I think I'm doing good. In fact, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think I'm a success. Can I ask you a question? Whose standard are you using? Or are you just a bird sitting on eggs you didn't hatch? Remember Jeremiah? He was a failure. 40 years, same message. Nobody listened. God didn't think he was a failure. Because Jeremiah let God write his story. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand with me and we're going to sing. I just want to, I want to implore you this weekend, don't use this song as an excuse to slip out early. Use it as an excuse to surrender your pen. So what's God saying to you? Is he saying that the trajectory that the world tells you you're on is not true? 
is he's saying, bring me your ex. Bring me your regret. Bring me your failure. I promise you, I'll give you beauty for ashes. Is he saying, today, exchange your D for an E. Cry out to God. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need D. So we're going to finish the service different than we normally do. In a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss you. And if you're going to slip out, I'm just going to ask, would you please just be really quiet and save your conversation for out in the commons? Because some of you, some of you need to sit back down and talk to God for a little while. Some of you need to bring him your ex and let it go. Some of you need to surrender the pen. We're just going to turn this worship center into a quiet sanctuary. And if you just need to hang out for a little while and talk to God, I'm going to invite you to do that. The prayer team's going to come this direction. They're going to stand up here at the front. If you just need some company along the way, we'd love to pray with you. Not because we've arrived spiritually, but because we know what it feels like when you hand over a regret to God and He takes it and turns it into something beautiful. If you don't know Jesus today, that prayer team is here. We would so love to introduce you to the God who changed our lives, changed our trajectory, and is taking us in a completely different direction. So we're going to leave quiet today. And I hope and pray those of you that are being called to baptize will be making your way up to the baptismal class so we can celebrate with you the fact that you've surrendered the pen. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh God. God, we reject the lies the world tells us. That there's a predictable trajectory and we don't have any choice but to just live it out. God, today we're believing that you can rewrite broken marriages. We believe you can rewrite addictions. We believe you can rewrite broken stories and pasts. God, we believe you can write an entirely new ending if we'll simply give you the pen and allow you to write your perfect plan for us. So God, I pray over my brothers and my sisters today. May we have the courage to surrender the pen. So God, as we leave quietly today, would you speak in those deep, quiet recesses of our heart? We give full control to you with all of our praise, God. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the people have rewritten, agreed together and said, Amen.